Yep, whatever happens, we stop at 12, we give David the mic. How much would Someone that has emails on. Okay, perfect. Check, people check their emails. And then can I call you tomorrow and have you show me how to get into Servant Keeper? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Because Laura was like, uh, hey, can you do XYZ? I'm like, uh, sure, if somebody just shows me how. Yeah. I'm not opposed. Um, all right, did, anybody, did everybody sign in or you know, just check a box or whatever? Yep. Um, there was three handouts for today. Um, did everybody get a copy of all three? Does anybody need one? You're good? Everybody's okay? All right. Um, I, added, um, I added two things that uh, I almost always put, I put the same two things almost always at the top of any given lesson plan that I'm working on when it comes to apologetics. And it's, it's because over time, I, I think they're, they're both things that are just worth having embedded in your heart. So 1 Peter 3.15 we've touched. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness, gentleness and reverence. And then the author of the book that we're, that we're working through, Tactics, Greg Kukul, um, he has a quote that I don't know I don't know if I saw this like reading something and it was like quote from Greg Kugel or if like I just heard him in an interview and I was like ooh and I think it's the latter like I remember rewinding it and listening to it again and again until I, I had it down but now it's it's stuck with me and uh, Christianity is a reasonable and rational worldview that resonates with our deepest intuitions about reality when understood in its proper context. And as I was working through and putting this lesson together, that quote dawned on me and then I remembered I hadn't been putting it in front of you guys. So anyways, if you've not, if you've not um, dug in or, or went and looked up like who is this guy or what ministry is he from or anything else, Stand to Reason or str.org is the name of his ministry. And I am not saying that it is the most um, intellectually deep. It, it is, but his gift is making it not be. Like that's, so anyhow, beyond just tactics, he has things on how to navigate particular uh, uh, conversations in the culture at the moment, whether it be abortion or, or, or transgenderism or, you know, just these kind of things and, and a really good framework of how we should be thinking about that as a Christian. So, uh, if you're not if you're not utilizing str.org, uh, I think that's one uh, that's worth you know having bookmarked in your in your uh, uh, bar or whatever they call it. Yeah. He also has a podcast. Yes. He has an STRS, which is the standard reason short. Yep. Where it's just like a twenty minute. So if you're just driving somewhere, you can listen for about twenty minutes. It takes questions and answers from people. Yes, and I didn't know he had a short. Which, that's fabulous, thank you, because he also has, it's a radio program, and he just, he condensed, he's been doing it forever, but he, he makes it available via podcast, and I only have ever accessed the long form, and it's, it can be like an hour or better. Um, so anyways, it, uh, having a short, so it's STRS? Yeah, so it's STRS, which is short, like it's a 20 minute, he'll do still, he'll just 15 minute or whatever, and he does that with Amy Hall. Oh, oh, uh, that's STR Ask. Yeah, there's that, but there's STR Ask, which he does with her as well. Oh, okay. All right. So he does a condensed radio format. Like, if you can't, you know, I, I listen to his podcast. I listen to it at 1.25, so I can just kind of get through. Okay. But, um, yeah, but that's, that's a short one. Yeah. 
I'm with you. I do two times, and my, I drive my. If my headphones break or something, and the family hears, they're like, "You're you're sick. You need a therapist." Um, but I'm too ADD, man. If those conversations are going at normal speed, I, my mind is drifting. Um, anyways, the point is clearly they have lots of fabulous resources. It's even hard to keep track of. Um, the the STR ask or the STR short or if that's the same thing or different or whatever. But it's he, is, he just does it like throughout the week. Oh, okay. They, I think it's the same podcast because I, listen, I just have standard reason podcast and then... Um, the main concept is they, they'll take tweets and questions and then they'll, they'll respond more or less in long form in a way that you can't adequately do in, in a tweet. But, but the questions have to be asked in, in short form. And it's, uh, it's, it's really useful and interesting. Yes. Yep. Thank you for sharing. Um, okay. Two things that I, I, uh, I feel like... Uh, because because I mismanaged the time, two things that I, I feel like I, I fumbled was the bibliographical test. So I sent out an email with a link to about a seven-minute video. Did anybody care to take the time to, to watch that? No. Okay. All right. So then let's just grade my paper real quick. Um, given, given how bad I fumbled, uh, what did you walk away with as your understanding of textual criticism or, or the bibliographical test? Because I think this is, this is really important. It had to do with that grid that we were looking at in last week's handout. And in fact, I can put that up because I took a, a tip from uh, Dr. David Bristow. <laughs> and uh, now I can't find... I promise I did it, buddy. Um, while he's uh, fumbling, one of the things we're going to have a uh, look at this morning. Where is that? Oh, there it is. Uh, I'm going to show you. Is um, these pamphlets put out by Henry actually owned by Tyndale House now. Um, they're uh, $5. Dollars. They open up like this. And in this particular case, it gives you 16. Things that, uh, as a uh, evangelical, conservative, Christian, who goes to Brickberry Church, should believe. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I think so, uh, yeah, he uh, does a great job, and then he compares it to Mormonism, JWs, uh, kind of thing. Um, in our, our group on Thursday night, we went through uh, one on uh, why trust the Bible, exactly what Okay, um, I don't want to spend a ton of time, but, but we just kind of rush through it. So, the idea of textual criticism is just what confidence can we have in the reliability of the document? And it's not exclusive 
uh, even though it's called the bibliographical test, that, that it, 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 that's just coincidental. It's not like it's only about the Bible. This is the scientific way that they assess the accuracy of a document. How do we know that the one that we, the copies that we have today, match up with what was originally written? That's that's the idea. So the the two biggest uh, variables in that is how many of those manuscripts do we have to compare? Because, and I'm, I'm being real loose here, guys, uh, and I'd, I'd encourage you to, to go look into this or check that email from last week and watch that little seven-minute video. But anyways, obviously, the more copies we have to compare, uh, the more confidence that we can have that we're, we're honing in on the, the original interpretation. Because if you're, if you're seeing minor variations um, and it's in the, you know, the minority of the available manuscripts, then it's, it's probably not you know, what was in the original. Um, the other big variable is how far, how long after the original is the first copy that we have. Because, again, logically, the more time that goes by, the more opportunity there is for error to creep in. So the more robust the amount of manuscripts and the shorter amount of time from the original to the first copy that we have, the more accurate you're going to be. So when it, when it comes to um, things like uh, the Iliad by, by Homer, there's, there's 1,800 copies. That's, that's considered awfully authoritative, right? But there's a 400-year time gap between the original and the first copy that we have. Nobody runs around asking, well, is that, you know, is that what it originally said? We need to throw that document out. We can't use that. We can't teach that in university. Um, no, they just, they just say, hey, that, that docu document is, is pretty accurate in terms of, of textual criticism. Um, you, you've got, uh, you know, you got uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars, 950-year um, gap, only 251 copies, and it's considered authoritative. When it comes to the, to the New and the Old Testament, um, the New Testament, you know, we, we were joking about this last week, but, but relatively speaking, 40 years on that graph compared to, to the others, it, it, it really is almost like a tweet. It's instantaneous. 40 years within, you know, this historical framework is, is nothing. And then the amount of manuscripts of the New Testament and also the Old Testament that we have just blows the rest out of the water. It, 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 it isn't even a comparison, and with a high degree of confidence, scientifically, we can say the Bible is 98 to 99% accurate. Now, we're not trying to use that to shove it down somebody's throat to say that um, you need to adopt everything the Bible says and because here's what it means, etc. That's, that's, that's not the point. I mean, you would, you would be right, but that's, that's not the point. Um, the point is, is that you're looking to discern and, and show them, and, and also be aware yourself, the, the difference between pushback over what it says, and then the other side of the coin, the implication of what it means. And what happens is, it, oftentimes, when you're having these conversations, the implications start to creep up in the back of their mind as they're, as they're considering these things you're saying. And when they realize that there might actually be a God that they're accountable to, that's when people want to suppress the truth, right? So they'll, they'll flip it on you and, and they'll say, well, we can't even, you know, we, 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 we don't even know the telephone game and da-da-da-da-da and that document's so corrupted, it can't be trusted. Yeah, no, that's not true. 
It's not true, and we can say that scientifically. So that keeps us out of that arena of fighting about what does it say and, and allows more time in the what does it mean arena so you can get into the implications of what it says. But there's really no need in debating what it says. We, we know with, with certainty, and, and that's, the reason, uh, that's the reason we care. Alright, so I digress. There's a, there's a good video I sent you a clip on. Now, the, the other thing that I didn't touch on is, um, and I think it's just because we were rushing, I had it in my notes, but it is uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Who's heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Somebody tell us real quick, uh, maybe I don't even need to show the video, somebody tell us what they are and why they're significant. It's a collection of manuscripts that date back to uh, up to thousands of years ago that are accurate to the Bible, what we have today as we compare them, uh, that were preserved in a cave in, uh, somewhere in the Middle East. Yep, Qumran Valley. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't... Words. I don't know that we... Um, I don't know that we need to waste the five, six minutes here. I, I'll send this out an email also. Uh, you all have Google and YouTube. You can go find one that you prefer as well. But that's exactly right. All of this, all of this scientific evidence and the accuracy of the documents that we have, all of that stands, right? But then introduce the Dead Sea Scrolls and it takes the oldest documents that we had and backs them up thousands of years. So it's like... As accurate as we thought we were, we're actually way more confident in the accuracy than that. That's what the Dead Sea Scrolls does for us, right? So these are, these are crucial concepts that can really squash, you know, the, the kind of, well, that's just your interpretation or, and that's more of a what it means kind of a conversation. But anyways, you get it. That, that's why I feel like those things are, are so important and I, I, I blew through textual criticism and I left out the Dead Sea Scrolls but both of those are tremendous pieces of evidence uh, to, to argue for we pretty much know what it says um, okay alright so I can't believe this is an overhead projector <laughs> I remember the yeah the big lights and like they were <laughs> Big as a refrigerator. Please. Yes. For me, at least, that was a very simple way to explain many concepts of this nature that you're trying to support arguments and refute arguments on the Bible and many other subjects. Yes, Josh McDowell. Um, he, he has another one, More Than a Carpenter, that's also really good. Um, but yeah, the evidence that demands a verdict, just like the title says, it, you know, it's, it's playing on this kind of point that I'm trying to stress here. These are facts. It's facts. Again, what it says. The, scientifically, the, the document that we have, it's the, it's the original, right? So when you start considering this concrete evidence, you, you have to plant a flag at some point. You have to decide where you come down on this information because you, you can't just sweep the information under the rug. Well, I mean, you can. You can suppress the truth, but that doesn't make it go away. So evidence that demands a verdict is, is great. Um, his son, Sean McDowell, uh, Allie and I were just watching a, 
I did fall asleep. I need to finish it. But we uh, we turned on. It was an hour long interview that that he did with uh, with a, a young man that uh, claimed to be a progressive Christian. But like, I tell you what, uh, if you ever if it ever jumps on your heart to pray for me, uh, patience and self control is always a good one. Um, and and the amount of patience and self control that I saw Sean McDowell use as he's talking to this borderline I don't want to call the guy a nutcase, but it's like I hope he went back and watched his own video because it's like you said that out loud, man. Like you said that. Um, anyways, uh, but there there was one point where Sean, because you can see him swallowing and you can see like. <laughs> You know, but he, he doesn't take the bait. And it's like, how do you do that? You know, it's like Yoda. It's like, for me, I'm like watching Yoda, you know. And, um, yeah. It, it, it's, and at one point, he does break character a little bit. And he goes, okay, I have to tell you. Do you remember the kid's name? Was it Justin? Or I, I can't remember. I fell asleep before you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I go to say something to Allie, and she's doing, you know. It's Though, don't let that deter you. Yeah. Um, anyhow, he goes, okay, now, I must, I must admit that given what you just said, the apologist in me is raging. <laughs> He's like, but that's okay. That's okay. Here's my next question. And, and really, um, what he was, all he was doing was just using um, questions to, to basically clarify the, the true distinctions between, say, progressive Christianity and more conservative fundamental Christianity and just where exactly do we differ and what implications come along with that. So anyways, it was... I did notice he used very good tactics. He did use good tactics. always questions, you know, which, yeah, even me, I was like, wait, I want to say something about I, that. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so, oh, one more thing. Um, Dave Brown taught me something. He said, when you're developing curriculum and whatever really pretty much it probably applies to anything first step is make it work second step is make it right third step is make it good so we're we're kind of in the making it right phase right now um, it's it, it, we're making it work but on the fly like last week I uh, we could have spread that out over two two lessons easy we don't have that kind of time so it means I need to edit more and also slow down so when I started getting into, can there really just be one true religion? It's like, man, this is deep enough that we should just slow down and just meander through here. But trying to stack the problem of evil on top of it in the same class, forget it. So we're going to tackle that next week, and I'll just modify the syllabus as we go, and you just act like that's not happening. All right? <laughs> and, and remember, just let the lectures wash over you. Another thing is Trey, I heard uh, Trey gave me some criticism um, that he's like, I go home and I read the book and I come to class and we don't talk about anything in the book. Fair. But again, the book is training us in tactics in the background. It's, bridging a, it's, it's building a bridge one way. We're discussing topics of conversation and how to think about them so that you can wrap those in your tactics and hopefully those bridges meet in the middle, but we can't cover all. And I'm actually petitioning Bob right now to bust this into two classes. One, just an apologetics class where we focus on these concepts. And then another class where we focus on the tactics and the, the, the true conversational art form of it. I don't know if that'll be successful, so, so right now we're just trying to bridge the two, and I'm just glad that they, the, the powers that be allowed an apologetics class in. So, you know, don't rock the boat too much, I guess. All right, so if, if, if someone asked you guys, 
What is your biggest problem with Christianity? What, what troubles you the most about its beliefs or, or how it is practiced? What, or I'm sorry, if you ask somebody this question, what kind of response do you think you would typically get? Go ahead, Dave. There's no way to know that Jesus is actually the Messiah of God. No way to know Jesus is the Messiah. No way to prove that he's actually the Messiah of God and that to come to God you have to put your faith in him and his work on the cross. How are you supposed to actually prove that? Because it seems awfully subjective, doesn't it? It's pretty subjective. Seems that way. All right. Um, we'll get into the, the resurrection and the empty tomb and, and all of that later. But yes, you'll hear that one a lot. Anything else that, that you think you might, you might hear is in terms of a chief complaint. That's a good one. Um, it's, I don't want to try because it's impossible to accomplish what he's asking me. Ah, yeah. Um, uh, the old uh, truth versus grace thing, right? And both of those are dangerous. If, if all you ever hear is that you're a sinner separated from God and uh, you're going to hell, well, after a while you're like, well, fine, I can't, I can't be good enough. I'm going to go eat, drink, and be merry. But, but if, if all you ever hear is grace, 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 oh, you don't need to worry, God's got a plan, well, then that's exactly what you do. You don't, you don't worry, right? But, but the reality is there's a tension between those two things. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, reiterate. Um, I don't want to try because there's no way of achieving what he's asking me to do. Good works, just, you know, I, I can't be good enough, so why bother? All right, anything else? Go ahead. Why do good people die? Yeah, why, why, do, why do bad things happen to good people? And then it's always interesting to, like, well, you know, Jesus being his son and what happened to him... Huh? <laughs> you know, like, and we're gonna, we're, those, these things will come up in, in later topics that we're gonna cover. But those are all excellent answers. I would, I would suggest, at least for the framework of today's class, that one of the biggest complaints is that we are arrogant and exclusive. You know, we, we think that we have the truth cornered, and if you don't think exactly the way we do, you're going to hell. Now, I kind of believe that, but. It's what the Bible teaches, and that thing, I've, I've, I've really worked on it, and the problem is it just, it's proven itself to be fairly accurate, and it says some things, and, and I have to consider the implications of those, but, but Christianity is exclusive. It is exclusive, and that, you know, we were touching on this early on, um, the gospel is offensive enough. We don't need to add to that with our own personalities, we, we try not to. Really hard for me, maybe not as much for some of you others. But, but we try not to add to the offense, but, but primarily it's offensive because of its exclusiveness. It is saying that there's one way to be reconciled to God and all other routes or options are off the table. So there's significant irreconcilable differences between the major faiths. So if Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslim and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But remember, all religions, including Christianity, could be wrong, but they can't all be right. These are logically uh, at odds with one another. They, they, are, they are inconsistent. There's, there's a problem there. So... All those could be true with that foundation of belief. So we, we, we're not. We're also combat, combating that yep. thought as well. 
Yes. Exactly right. And, and two things that we were touching on earlier, I don't know if it was week one or week two, but that, that whole pushback on absolute truth, that there is no such thing as absolute truth, the question that we respond with is, is that true? Are you absolutely Are you, Is that absolutely true? That, so that's, that's your first, you know, that's your first thing that you're trying to pull out to destabilize that view. And then, and then the second thing, and, and maybe, you know, no particular order, but remembering that there's a distinction between subjective truth and objective truth. And a lot of time what, what they're doing is they're accusing the Christian of having a subjective preference about matters of faith. And what we're saying is, no, objectively, the dude was the son of God and he, he lived a perfect life and exchanged it for yours. Like, that is objectively true. Like, there, you have been bit by a snake, maybe almost literally. Um, there is venom in your veins and you are dying. And Christ has the antidote. And if you do not objectively put the syringe in your arm and inject it, you're going to die in your sins and trespasses. That's what we're advancing. We're advancing an objective worldview, not subjective. So remember to push back on, on any disdain for absolute truth and also help them see in their own thinking the difference between subjective and objective truth. But that's good. Thank you, Darren. All right, so what if someone insisted that the biggest barrier to world peace is religion? Especially the major tra traditional religions with their exclusive claims to superiority. What if they insisted the only thing that matters is to be a good person and insisting that one faith, ha that, that insisting one faith has a better grasp of truth than another is arrogant and intolerant? How would you respond if they backed you into that corner? What's that? What's being good? That seems awfully, you talk about subjective, that seems subjective, doesn't it? What were you going to say, Dan? Well, I firmly agree with them that religion has been a massive reason that there is hasn't been peace on earth and that that's absolutely true and then what James said I would say is also true oh. you know what is good I mean if you think that you know killing babies is good then that's obviously not good yeah, and that's a really good point. You know, when people want to want to tell you that you're arrogant for suggesting that another religion is inferior to yours, it's like, well, even if you totally reject God but accept the idea of religion, you know, those that engage in child sacrifices, you're not at least willing to say those are inferior? You know, like to some degree, everybody would argue that some religions are inferior to, to others, but... But, but what you're saying is what I was after, Daniel, at least for this conversation, because, but it makes us bristle. It makes us bristle to, to concede that, that religion has been a point of conflict or violence in the world. But it has. But as Christians, we understand the depravity of man and what's bound up in our human heart, and that a lot of atrocities have been advanced in the name of Christ, and, and, and there was nothing Christ-like about it. Right? So humans can say whatever they want. And we know and understand this, but, but we bristle because if we concede that, it's almost like we're saying that we agree with the Crusades or, or, or anything that might fall into that category, and, and we don't. So anyways, Candace. Yeah. Um, so looking 
we're all able to have a relationship with Jesus. We are very inclusive. Amen. Preach, sister. And I, was it last week? I think we were uh, in the review section. I think I had something in there about remembering that, that Jesus is a person to be known, not a concept to be debated. Right? It's a personal relationship, exactly to her point. So anyways, one of the things you're wanting to do with people is, is you want to take... Um, uh, whenever you're engaging somebody in this kind of stuff, just picture like a pressure valve on the side of their neck, right? And any time you're able to just reach up and take some pressure out of the conversation, do it. And concessions are a good way of, of doing this. It makes everybody feel safe. It's like, hey, okay, you're acknowledging some of my points. And it's like, yeah, let's get some of your points on the table, and then I'll get some of my points on the table, and then we're going to compare and contrast. right? But, but you want to create common ground whenever possible. So it's okay to acknowledge that religion can have the tendency to create a slippery slope of superiority, because it can. And, and, and here's why I think. I'll just, I'll just walk through these. Each religion informs its followers that they have the truth, and this could lead them to feel superior to those with differing beliefs. Number two, also a religion tells its followers that they are saved and connected to God by devotedly performing said truth. This can sometimes cause adherents to separate from those who are less devoted. Um, and I'll hold back, you know, all the things I want to say about different denominations and so on and so forth. But, but because of this, it can be easy for one religious group to stereotype and character other ones. And, and by the way, this is what you see going on in, in politics. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll create a character, whether it's a politician or an idea or whatever, and then they attack it. And it, it's almost like they, you know, they set up a straw man and then annihilate it. And one area, this just my opinion, but one area that I think this is happening right now is if you, if you start paying attention, I, give me your feedback, even if it's six months or a year from now, if you, if you start to notice this, let me know, because I feel like I'm seeing it. There, there's an active push to associate the word evangelical with the, the character of what you saw on January 6th. Right? That that's what evangelicals are. They're these, they're these right-wing, extreme radicals that, will, that, will, that are threatening our democracy. They are slowly planting that idea out there. And you, you can see it in the articles. You can see it in the headlines. They are, they are currently creating a character of, of what an evangelical is. And once that settles in, obviously we need to remove evangelicals from, from you know, polite society. And that, this is how this, this goes, but, but I digress. Uh, because of this, it can be easy for one religious group to stereotype and character other ones. Once that situation exists, it can easily spiral down into the marginalization of others, of other or even active oppression, abuse, or violence against them. Okay, so, so there, there is something to this, this idea that, that an exclusive mindset can can foster uh, violence and oppression and, and abuse of others. But, but if for the sake of argument we, we recognize this and, and how religion could play a hand in the erosion of peace on earth, it's fair for us to then to ask them, Colombo tactic, well, well what can or what should we do about that? So you're creating that common ground, but now you're back to, to asking those open-ended questions. Um, and, and what's the answer to that? What can or, or should we do about that? What, do you, what, do you, what are you noticing, or, or what positions or tactics on the other side do you see or recognize being taken currently? Well, we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic. For one thing, we 
Mm -hmm. so well, we're a republic. That they're Mm -hmm. And which is the very point we're making here. They'll create something and then attack it, right? A character or a straw man and then attack it. Okay, anybody else have any observations? Oh, Julie, hold, hold it, Danny, don't lose it. Um, you're always back to defining terms. When you throw out terms like evangelical or... Um, you can take it down to... Well, what, what's the number one Colombo question? What do you mean by that? Keep going. So start um, asking what they think about that. And you can say, well, as a Christian, that's not true. And if someone has told you that, they're misguided. Right. So the Bible doesn't say that. That's one of the strongest things I've said to somebody when they come at me with something like that. You know, studied the Bible for you know, 50 years, and I've never found that. Yeah. And um, if you do, let me know. We'll talk about it. Amen. I don't believe that's true. And I think that's um, a narrow, ambiguous thought about who Christians are. And when we're attempting to advance biblical doctrine, sometimes what we'll, what we'll hear or what's thrown at us is, are you saying that? Like, I hear that phrase all the time. Are you saying that? Are you suggesting that? And it's like, no, no, no. No, I'm not saying or suggesting anything. I'm telling you what the Bible says. It's right here. You know, this, this chapter, this verse, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, this book, this chapter, this verse, and there it is. Right? Go ahead. But then they also use that argument about evangelicals or whatever, the Christians are bigoted and hard and whatever. Mm -hmm. But then they'll misquote scripture. Yep. They say people. Yes. God is love and as the Bible says, completely out of context when they want to make a point. So... I get a random phone call the other day. I'm working, and um, it's from New York. And, uh, you know, like, uh, it could be something about work. I don't, you know, but I don't know, maybe not. But, but I answered it just in case. Um, it was some random call from the Universal Church. And I'm guessing, like, some, you know, local body in New York or somewhere. I don't know how I wound up on her call list. But what she told me was that they were having a special event this coming weekend and that, that they were they were going to be blessing some water from Israel and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, anyways, so uh, she tells me she's from the Universal Church. And I said, now, what does that mean? Does that mean that all paths lead to God? And she's like, well, uh, and then she gives me some answer and she goes to Scripture and she misquotes Scripture. And I, I, I let her get it out. I'm like, well, do you have the time to, to turn there? Can we look at that together? And Yeah, exactly. Of course, she didn't have the time for, for any of that. And I said, well, well, can you tell me how... So I forgot to tell you about this. It was just in the middle of everything. It's like a little gift from God to you. Yeah, um, anyways. And, and so I just asked her, you know, Colombo tactic, be a student. Because I think I know what the universalists believe, but... I said, well, well how, how am I saved within your, you know, within universalism if, if, if basically everybody's going to heaven? You know, how, do, is there anything that I need to do? And anyways, it just, it just spiraled out and she was kind of like, sir, uh, did you want to donate or not? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I don't think so. But, you know, um, anyways, but I had that used on me just on Thursday or Friday. And she just completely misquoted scripture and it's like, hmm, that's... Yeah, yeah. 
amen and a woman. Yeah. All right, so, um, all right, so th there's there's basically three things that that we see happening out there in, in the public square in terms of wanting to put an end to. You know all of these arrogant uh, evangelical views that, um, or, or even religious views that that create you know oppression and violence and, and division in society. We we can outlaw it, we can condemn it, or we can force it to be private. Right? Those are those are the three big moves that we see, and and we're going to look at look at those a, a, a little bit each in in detail. So, um, uh, starting with outlaw religion. Um, this is one way to deal, to deal with the divisiveness of religion, and, and it's been to, it's, we've seen it attempted multiple times, but control it or forbid it, right? So Soviet Russia, uh, Communist China, Nazi Germany, we, this is real. Like, these are people that, that are, are outfits, governments that have um, attempted to, to forbid it or, or make it go away or you know just outlaw it. You, you can't practice that. You, you, can't, you, you can't engage in that. It's basically illegal. Um, oh, so much I want to say about COVID and all of those policies, but we won't, we won't. I'm putting that lid on. We're just, all right, so all of those regimes, go ahead, David. <laughs> I'm not COVID, I'm over. So, uh, <laughs> is uh, secular humanism mm -hmm. a religion? Yeah, it is. So we should outlaw evolutionary secular humanism teaching in schools and nobody should. By their own logic, right? Yeah, um, and we're yes, exactly right. So we're gonna we're gonna tease that out a little bit. So all of those regimes were. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, how? Most people of that persuasion wouldn't believe it's a religion, it's a science, although it's scientism. But um, how would you describe to them or help them come to the understanding that it is a religion? That's exactly what we're getting ready to work through. So give me, give me long form. Um, but I would add to what you're saying, because I, I totally agree. I, I think the misconception for a lot of people is it's, if they simply don't evoke God, then they have sidestepped religion. And that's incorrect, that's an inaccurate view, um, and, and that's what we're going to tease out in this section. So all of those regimes were designed to tightly control religious practice in an effort to stop it from dividing society or ending the power or eroding the power of the state. Um, however, the, the result was not peace and harmony, right? It was more oppression. And, and, and more violence. It was ironically tragic. Uh, Alistair McGrath, who was an atheist termed evangelical, turned evangelical, has a good quote. The 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history. That the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. There's a cute little phrase I like. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace, right? N-O-K-N-O-W. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Um, doesn't have a, a lot of bearing, but, but I just, it's, it's fun, and it came to mind as I was kind of uh, working through this, that, that 
Jesus is the only fix to the condition of the human heart. Um, also in the 19th and 20th century, something known as the secularization thesis began to emerge, but for the most part, because of the way the church is booming today, that's, that's essentially been discredited. But it's, it's essentially modernism, but the idea was that religion would weaken and die out as we became more technologically advanced. Except, religion is, is it's, it's inseparable from the way we, we live and think and breathe and act. You, 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 can't, you can't escape having a worldview. It's, 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 it's impossible. So, because religion is so vital uh, to, our, to our existence, um, you, you, you can't suppress it, you, you, can't, you can't control it. Um, anyways, the secularization thesis has, has been discredited, and here's some of the evidence for that. Nigeria today has six times more Anglicans as a denomination, Anglican, the Anglican Church. Nigeria has six times more Anglicans than the U.S. Ghana has more Presbyterians than the U.S. and Scotland combined. Presbyterianism emerged from Scotland. Uh, Korea has gone from 1% to 40% Christian in the last 100 years. And, and currently China's kind of on that same trajectory. Right? So religion or, or it's, it's, it's growing. Um, and you know, I just, I just like to point out or, or remind all of us that, that every time they've tried to stomp out Christianity, it just grows. Um, you know, pressure makes diamonds. And persecution's coming our way. Um, what we experience with COVID is, is hardly even a taste of what persecution is relative to what's going on in other parts of the world. But it, it will make it to our doorstep, maybe in our lifetime. Um, but it's okay because um, Christ will shine. Pressure makes diamonds. All right, the second option is, or the second tactic is to condemn religion, right? So if government control hasn't been able to squash it or diminish the role of religion, what other tools might they use against us? What about education? What about getting a hold of these kids young? Um, what about just, just trying to logically argue you into your, your place or, or the societal pressure that can come along with, with, with cancel culture, you know, being afraid to say the, the wrong thing, so on and so forth. I would, I would argue or posit that, that this approach, this condemning thing, um, probably has the most traction. If there's anything that we should be the most concerned about or eager to stand up against, I, I think it's, it, it's this one. It's this idea of, of condemning any kind of religious thought uh, as being, you know, uh, out of vogue. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, they have to have all of the diversity, equity, inclusion as part of the school, but you can't have a Bible Extremely interesting definition of tolerance, isn't it? That's funny. Yeah, yeah. And what happens as a society is we, we fall victim to that because all of us want to be accepted. That's, that's something inside of, of all of us. Um, the problem is, is that that hole in our heart that all of us have, it's the size and shape of a cross. And there's only one thing that can fill it. But, but we try with, with all these other things. So 
anyways, th this approach is having some success because in the public square today, it's often considered unenlightened or, or maybe even outrageous to make exclusive religious claims, um, even maybe in, in personal or private conversation. You know, people are so easily offended. Um, and, and oftentimes, what people default to is, is or want to default to just for maybe a, a, a safe shelter is religious pluralism. They just try to make more room, you know. Um, so religious pluralism essentially asserts that all major religions are equally valid or, or maybe even equally false, depending on how you want to look at it or argue it. Argue it. And, and basically they teach the same thing, right? Back to, to morality and being a good person and, you know, etc. Et so how would you respond if someone contended that the, the doctrinal differences, we were talking about doctrine last week, between Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, that, that are, are superficial and insignificant as they all believed in the same God. So why split hairs? You know, you guys are all talking about God. What, you know, why such a fuss? Why be so exclusive? Um, what, what might you say to that? How might you respond? What God are you talking about? Boom. And what's behind that? Tease that out for us. What? Who is that God you're asking, right? I'm asking you the question. Well, you're asking me. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're to ask, if you're telling me that all these major religions are all saying that God is love, or they're all referring to the same God, then I obviously don't agree with that. So I want you to tell me what you mean by who is this God? Yes. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yes. That's that's where we're going, Julie. Well, Jesus is the only one that goes from the dead. All the other religions are dead. Yeah. If you believe, if there are like Muslims says, kill the infidel. So Christianity doesn't say kill, don't kill. Doesn't say kill those who don't believe. Mm -hmm. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Does the Quran or Quran say that? Yeah. Yeah. Conversion or death by sword. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on what part of it you read. It says some different things. Yeah. And, it, and it adheres uh, uh, strongly to progressive revelation, meaning as it advances, if the idea or concept changes, then whatever you find later in the Quran is the accurate, you know, and, and whatever previous, well, there was just more revelation that Muhammad had, had received is, is how they respond to those inconsistencies. But, but speaking of inconsistencies, that is the problem. That's what we would point out when we're asking the question, you know, well, who is that God? Tell me about that God. You, you'll, you'll sometimes, you know, hear that, well, it's a, uh, it, he's an all-loving spirit in the universe. All right, well, well, that sounds like a biblical concept. Like, where'd you get that idea? Did you make that up, or is that coming from somewhere? And why should I, why should I take your assertion there seriously, even though I, I do agree that God is all-loving? But, but the problem is, is that, and what you would want to point out to him is, well, you know, Buddhism doesn't believe in a personal God at all. They don't even believe in God. So this idea that, that these doctrinal distinctions don't exist, I'm, I think you might be misinformed. Christianity, Judaism, and you wouldn't necessarily say it like that, but Christianity, Judaism, and Islam believe in a God who holds people accountable for their beliefs and practices and whose attributes could not be all reduced just to love. Right. So the, 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 the insistence that doctrines do not matter is a doctrine. 
That's, that's what I want you to see. That is a teaching. They are teaching you that, that all of these doctrinal differences don't matter. So the proponents of the, the view are really guilty of the, of the very thing they're forbidding. That's, that's the point here. Is it, it's inconsistent. And furthermore, you're advancing a doctrine that, that doctrines are irrelevant. That's, 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 that's interesting and something I think you should be aware of. You know? An emotional appeal. Statements that, that provide some sort of intellectual discussion about it. So the, I think it reverts back to the Colombo tactic. Is is you know really tell me why you believe? Tell me more about this. What do you? How are they? How are they the same? How are, are there? Are there differences? Are there any essential differences? And and challenge them in in their statement to to become a student of them to understand more of of what information they're drawing from when they're making their when they're making that. I had a gentleman in my kitchen um, rattling off all of his, uh, basically his worldview about love and uh, why everything, you know, revolved around love, etc. cetera, uh, but simultaneously was rejecting the, the, the Bible. And I'm like, okay, well, it's fine, I, you know, but, but since we've thrown the Bible out, help me understand how do you support this worldview? You know, and he just got mad and, you know, borderline wanted to fight me and ultimately left, right? And all I was just asking him is, you know, where do you come up with that from? Just help me understand. Um, because I, I agree, but I get that from the Bible. You're saying we got to throw the Bible out, yet you're advocating for what it says. <laughs> you know, are we communicating? But, but to Darren's point, so often the, the appeal or, or the pushback is emotional. It just doesn't feel right. And, and mainly because everybody's looking for some sense of fairness. Okay, the elephant and the blind men. Um, uh, somebody read that for us. Um, here, here is, uh, here's something I want to take note of. If you go home and you Google uh, the elephant and the blind man and Peace Corps, It'll take you to a .gov website, the Peace Corps website, and the elephant and the blind man is there as part of a larger lesson plan, part of a curriculum for third to eighth graders, right? So when I say that these are things that they're using to basically uh, uh, condemn, you know, the uh, religion and then its exclusive claims, I mean it. Like this is what's happening. So. In any event, somebody read for us the elephant and the blind men. Once an elephant came to a small town, people had read and heard. Will you do me a favor? Will you turn around and face everybody? Sure. Be loud, boy. Be loud. <laughs> Once an elephant came to a small town, people had read and heard of elephants, but no one in the town had ever seen one. Thus, a large, a huge crowd gathered around the elephant, and it was an occasion for great fun, especially for the children. Five blind men also lived in that town, and consequently, they also heard about the elephant. They had never seen an elephant before and were eager to find out about the elephants. Then, someone suggested that they go feel the elephant with their hands. Then they could get, a, get, they could, then they could get an idea of what an elephant looked like. The five blind men went to the center of the town, where all the people made room for them to touch the elephant. Later, they sat down and began to discuss their experiences. One blind man who touched the trunk of the elephant said that the elephant must be like a thick tree branch. Another who touched the tail said the elephant probably looked like a snake or a rope. 
third man to touch the leg, said the shape of the elephant must be like a pillar, and the fourth man to touch the ear, said that the elephant must be like a huge bear. Well, the fifth, not a bear, yeah. Well, the fifth who touched the side said it must be like a wall. They sat for hours arguing. Each one was sure that his view was correct. Obviously, they were all correct from their one point of view, but no one was quite willing to listen to the others. Finally, finally, they decided to get, go to see the village king and ask if he was correct. The king walked out on his balcony to address them below. Each of them, each of you is correct, and each one of you is wrong, because each of each one of you had only touched the part of the elephant's body, only one part of the elephant's body. Thus, you only have a partial view of the animal. If you put your partial views together, you will get an idea of what an elephant looks like. All right. So, can you see? We got We got to move. But can you see? the pushback on an exclusive worldview, right? You see what's being taught there, that all hands are touching the same essential truth and the different religions and traditions of the world are only stumbling upon one aspect of ultimate reality and are blind to the total picture. Now, they don't mention religion, but, but that's the implication by analogy. That's, that's what they're, they're getting at. So, and it has a certain appeal. Like there's, some, there's humility in that idea, right? It's appealing. Um, but, but the parable or, or the fable or whatever you want to say, uh, story, it's, it's, it's really, really uh, uh, flawed. R religious pluralism has a certain appeal to it because of its inclusive tolerance, especially when contrasted against the accusation that Christianity is exclusive and intolerant, right? Now, on the other side of that elephant and the blind man, I've, I've got four things that I'd like for you to become familiar with. We won't have time to walk through them today, but it's... It's, it's basically four classifications of religion, essentially. There's exclusivism, exclusivism, blah, 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 inclusivism, pluralism, too many isms, and universalism. Uh, we, we were just talking about you know, universal theology just a second ago. But, but those, are, those are concepts you don't have to have them memorized, but just know that these kind of categories exist and that, that evangelical Christianity falls in the exclusive category. Uh, the idea that there's only one true religion or one way to God. So that's where Christianity lands, and, but, but pluralism extends beyond just the, the mere tolerance, though, because it accepts all paths to, to God. They're, they're all equally acceptable. Um, but, but Christianity's really unique in its, its claim. So the, the, the fault that's in that fable, there's a big issue there. I, uh, before I just say it, did anybody catch it? Well, how would you, if somebody threw that at you, where might you take that conversation? How can someone who's blind know what something looks like in the first place, even if they were told what it looks like? Okay. Anybody else? Not, not, I'm not saying good, bad, or indifferent. Just for the sake of time, anybody else? All right, here's, here's what I would want to point out. Or the question I would ask the person is, well, how, how did the blind men discover the truth about the elephant? Nobody's rejecting the idea that there is absolute truth at play in the story. All of a sudden, nobody's pushing back on absolute truth. Hmm. Okay. Well, well then how? How did the blind men get the bigger picture? It was revealed from above, right? The king steps out on his balcony and from his transcendent perspective and with his superior sense of sight, communicates to those below the full picture of their experience. That's what happens in that story. So, as Christians... Who's, who's our king with a transcendent perspective? And how does he reveal himself? 
the Word. And we spent all last week talking about how reliable that document is. There's a ton that we could sit here and play with, but I'm going to stay true. So uh, that's the big thing that I want you to see as you meditate and ponder over that. Um, they are appealing to, a, a, to transcendent knowledge and absolute truth. And it just plays right into our hands as, as Christians. So when you hear something like that, you know, don't, don't be afraid. Uh, you know, there's a bumper sticker, uh, God is too big to fit into one religion. Yeah, the driver of that car wants us as Christians to, to exercise some humility and, and intellectual honesty by admitting that, that our Christ is a legitimate path for us, but others have equally legitimate paths. Either that's true or that's not true, right? Um, we would argue it's, it's not true. So... Uh, okay, we're going to touch the last one. we got four minutes. We can privatize religion. Um, basically, keep it out of the public square. Th this approach to the diversive, uh, divisiveness of religion is polytheistic. So, uh, in nature, or, uh, polytheistic in nature and aims to allow or permit people to privately hold to their convictions of faith, but those religious beliefs should be kept out of the public square. So the idea is that in public political discussions, we should not argue for a moral position unless it has a secular, non-religious grounding. That's, that's kind of the idea here of, of privatizing. So their position is, hey, we're just being pragmatic. You know, in the public square, it's divisive and time-consuming to, to constantly argue over religion. So we should just keep our religious views to ourselves and unite around policies that work for the greater good. Okay? Now, there was a, there was a lot here that I wanted us to tease. I'm sorry, but I, I'm just going to give you what I think all of this boils down to and why it matters. Um, it is impossible to escape your own personal narrative or your own personal worldview. You can't leave your values in private and then come to discuss something in public. It's impossible. You, you can't have an only a pragmatic approach because everyone has a different view on what they're trying to accomplish. So that changes how you view if it works or not. Okay, and I, this is... It's not that deep, but we're moving pretty quick. So I think marriage and divorce laws are a great example of this point, because I'm going to give it to David. But if the pragmatist says that we should leave our deeper sense of values behind and, and work to build a consensus about what works, then when we look at like marriage and divorce laws, and the, we, we have to ask ourselves, what is marriage trying to accomplish? Is it, is it possible to craft laws that we all agree work apart from commitment to a particular worldview or a particular personal narrative? And the answer is no. Because you're bringing your value system in. So if, let's see here, I've got this now. Uh, yeah, if you think marriage is mainly for the rearing of children to benefit society, then you will want to make divorce pretty difficult. Because your understanding of what the purpose of marriage is rooted in something and therefore what works is different than somebody that maybe thinks the purpose of marriage is primarily for the companionship and emotional fulfillment of the adults that enter it. So you should make divorce as accessible as possible. right? So you can't leave your personal values behind and then come to the public square and discuss what works because you have to square up on the intent or the purpose of the thing that's being discussed. This isn't, this isn't something that can be done in reality. So the point 
is it's ironic to insist, insist that religious reasoning be excluded from the public square because that is in and of itself a religious sectarian point of view, David. And, and I didn't get the chance to tease all this out, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a minute or two of yours because you raised the question, so it's your fault. <laughs> and, and thus, those that advance this idea are guilty of their own charge, right? Did you come to that conclusion? I did, and it's objective. <laughs> Here, here's the point David was getting at earlier, is that religion is nothing more than an organized set of beliefs. That's all it is. So you can apply it to anything. Anytime you have an organized set of beliefs, you can call that religion. Now, later, one of the lessons we're going to get into is religion versus gospel. That's going to be something that we talk about in greater detail. So I'll, I'll gloss over it here. But, but even, even those that are opposing you are themselves making a religious claim. So that's the irony of it. The real question we should all be asking ourselves is which fundamental worldview will lead its followers or believers to be the most loving and receptive to those with whom they differ. That's what we should be pursuing. We're all subject to worldviews. So what we really want to focus on is the one the one that will lead its followers to, to be the most loving and receptive to those that have different views. So if you can set the stage in that way, then the gospel message of Christianity has room to shine as it has within itself the remarkable and unique power to explain and expunge the divisive tendencies that are embedded in the human heart due to depravity. Christianity uniquely offers that and brings that to the table. And that's the confidence we should have. But it's okay to acknowledge that whoever you're talking to is trapped within a worldview, even if they can't see it themselves. Okay, I digress. If you can move your place. That would be most awesome. I am going to, uh, is there anybody in here that didn't check the box or sign in? Do I need to pass it around to anybody? Everybody on there? Okay, thank you. If you look at your uh, handout real quick, go down to uh, paragraph uh, two. Uh, one of the unspoken assumptions behind this barrage of questions is that you shouldn't hold a particular worldview unless you know the answers to all possible objections. If a student can answer on the spot every objection, the instructor throws out or you're in a conversation it's seen as evidence that biblical creation is inherently irrational go down to the fourth paragraph 
Of course, evolutionists, professors who challenge biblical creation, don't hold themselves to the same standard they impose on their Christian students. They insist that living things somehow arose from non-living chemicals, yet they have no idea how this happened. And then you've got uh, notes two and three, go over to note two. Uh, Mr. Organ said, Psst, don't tell the creationists, but scientists don't have a clue how life began out of their own mouth. So uh, you find things like that, you write it down and you carry it with you. Um, despite the enormous unanswered question at the very foundation of their belief system, you can be sure evolutionist academics don't consider their worldview to be irrational. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, you know, finding things like uh, that can be uh, helpful just for your own thinking so you don't get caught up uh, having to feel like you have to answer everything. Um, why tactics is a, a good idea um, to bring things uh, back. Uh, and we'll, I showed you the one pamphlet. The other pamphlets are very similar. We don't have time to... Uh, the reading uh, for this week in uh, chapters 7 and 9. Uh, what did they deal with and how would you phrase it? What was chapter 7 and 9 talking about and uh, how would you phrase that? Okay, uh, who read chapter 7 and 9 this week? Seven. Oh, by the way, if anybody's doing this for for credit, that first reading response is due next week. So it's on, uh, you know, the ambassador. My, what does it mean to be an ambassador? And one paragraph summary on that, and then one paragraph summary on, on the Columbo chapter. So, so what was uh, chapter seven about? Right, so using questions to make a point, leading questions in a direction now you want to uh, take them. Uh, how about chapter uh, 9? It's just twirling around the world. Okay, <laughs> around the world in 80 fingers. Okay, yes. Right, yeah. Uh, what the reason that's so nice is oftentimes it will extend the conversation. So if this is some stranger, that that's your opportunity to say, "Huh, oh, that's a good point," or "I need to think about that." Can I email you, or you know, could, could we get together later, or whatever? And it gives you an opportunity to regroup and then and then engage and, and carry that conversation a little a little further. So, anyways, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. So th this uh, chapter nine is uh, somebody using uh, Colombo uh, against you, right? So it's learning to uh, recognize that and um, be able to say, hmm, that's a, a good question. I uh, must admit, I've not thought about that before. Let, uh, let's get back. But, uh, you know, we actually were talking about 
and bring it, oftentimes it's something, at least in the book, he was saying that they um, oftentimes change the subject because maybe they see where it's going and uh, they're feeling um, a little tension uh, growing for what they believe and now ask you, to, well if there is uh, no hell would you still be a Christian? Like where did that come from? Because I'm feeling the heat right now. <laughs> and um, so how, uh, when somebody's using Colombo against you, how do you defend yourself now? Because it's a tactic you've used. Um, so now it's a matter of, uh, do you recognize that it's being uh, used against you? But j just real quick though, um, it, it's recognized, this is uh, Colombo 3, right? Chapter 7. Uh, you've been gathering information and then uh, asking them, uh, well, what made you uh, come to that conclusion? How, how, help me understand. That, that's kind of an interesting uh, thing that you said there. Because so, you want to keep it friendly, you want to keep it going. Um, when, I mean, you might be thinking, that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. But you, you say that and... Hasta la vista, baby. You know, it's all over. So, oh, uh, sorry. In that interview I was watching last night, I, I picked up another little uh, um, something that Sean McDowell was doing because the tendency is to want to say what you just said, but something I noticed Sean would say when when he would say something really dumb where he like basically stepped in it, Sean would say, "Okay, now that's useful." <laughs> you know, like. And, Oh, that's brilliant. Like, oh, okay, like we can we can work with that. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Like, thank you for sharing that. That's that's useful. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's good. I'm stealing that one. I guess I got a quick question, and I haven't gotten the book yet, so I'm sorry. I haven't, I haven't read oh, I'm 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 going to be refer like I mentioned before class. I'm going to be referring to that. yeah. Um, but by next week, you will have read. Yes. Right. I okay. <laughs> And that feels like not what we should be doing. They're like, they're saying, well, how did you come to the conclusion that there's a hell? Well, let me share with you. Let me tell you what the Bible. It feels like that's what we want. The point isn't to ruin their worldview from their from in their own eyes. The point is to share Christ with them, which will ruin their own worldview. And sometimes you have to do both at the same time. But it feels like if someone is saying, well, where, where do you come to the conclusion about hell, about what Jesus says, mm -hmm. God and man? It feels like that's the perfect opportunity to say, cool, you asked me, now I'm going to share with you. May, may I? No. Please, because I can't. All right, go ahead. No. <laughs> wow. You better hurry. You better hurry. Yeah, he, he's a plushy dude, isn't he? And, uh, and especially wearing a cap like that, I'm not sure what, how you get so pushy. But, you know, that, that, that's Celtic people for your Irish and Scottish hurry. people. All right. So, um... How do you, if, if you then jump in with that, what I would take from the book up to now, is how, how do you know what you need to share about what you believe? What, what, uh, what really is their question? You, you probably don't know that yet. Oh, there's a good chance you don't know that yet. 
Is it uh, they don't believe the Bible? Is it they don't believe the uh, inclusivity of uh, Christianity? Is it that there is no God? Is it, well, what, what are you going to share and how long do you have now to uh, spend this encyclopedia you're going to have because you don't know what, where they're coming from? That's why I would go back to like Sharma Dow. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Um, First of all, just in terms of dealing with humans, someone will not embrace a new idea unless they have been disengaged from an old idea. So there is an aspect of you do have to sh expose faults in people's thinking before they're going to look for another lily pad to jump to. And what, to your point, you are trying to offer Christ, right? But but the refusing to answer the question isn't so much a refusing to provide an answer. It, it, the, 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 the bigger idea there is you're attempting to provide answers by way of questions. You're, you're helping them reason themselves to the point that you're wanting to make. And the reason you're doing that is in the spirit of gentleness and, and love and, and kindness. It's, it's a softer approach than just saying, you're an idiot, you're wrong, and here's six reasons why. Because that's what we all want to do. But that's not winsome. You're, you're missing the character of an ambassador in, in that. So I agree with you. Yes, we, we, we want to present Christ. We want to provide answers. But this is kind of the, the artful way that we go about doing that, and you have to account for human psychology in the interaction. Thank, thank you. Conversation go both ways. They say, well, what do you mean salvation? Let me tell you about salvation, and then let me ask you. You know, well, and that sorry, I, there was another part I was going to. Big. I think the bigger point of of, oh. um, uh, of refusing to answer a question is is trying to avoid being ambushed. When, when they're hitting you with questions and you're like, I'm not really sure where this is going, what do you mean by that? Like, go ahead and state that, state what you believe and what your view is so that I can consider it. And, and it's just, it's keeping the conversation going, but you're still advancing your point. Sorry. That dropping the pebble in the shoe, kind of that you refer to all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and it's okay, you don't have to get everybody to the foot of the cross with every interaction. Right. Like you said, if you can just put a pebble in their shoe, you've been affected. Because mm -hmm. we're, uh, like he says in the book, uh, to me was very helpful, we're, uh, most of us are gardeners, not harvesters. So if you're not an evangelist or have the gift of evangelism, then you're a gardener. Uh, so um, go gardening. Don't hey, hey, try and pick fruit that you haven't. We've, we've raised the time where we're no longer offended if you leave. It's a quarter after, so just, I'm just saying, if you guys get up and walk, it's, we won't be okay. No, I'll just blame him. Um, you, uh, you, you made, uh, I thought it was a, a good point last week, um, why I wanted to refer, um, and I got his uh, permission. It was under duress, but I got his permission. Um, is, um, that's right. One of his fingers is almost broken now. Look at it. So, uh, you, you know, that, that question, how would you come to, uh, that doesn't sound like me. That, that doesn't feel right. See, and that's a good question. So, because we're reading things here, that might not be your style. That's okay. Find what that means and put it into your style. Not, well, that quite, I, I don't relate to how to say that question and then just dismiss it. Find a way to, to say it. So, uh, five points for uh, Slytherin House for raising <laughs> a, a good question. 
unfortunately, uh, 10 demerits for not having read uh, for that week like you're supposed to. 10 for Slytherin House. I mean, they're the, the evil ones, right? Anyway, so we've got to pull their points down. Uh, but to answer your thing, on page 80 in the book, uh, let's see, one, two, three, fourth uh, paragraph down. Remember, this is a model question. You can also ask, so the model question is, um, how did you come to that conclusion? But you could also ask, why do you say that? Already used this morning. Uh, what are your reasons for holding that view? What makes you think it happened that way? Uh, I'm curious, uh, why does that idea seem compelling to you? So a number, of, I appreciated the fact that he did that and it reminded me, with your question, it reminded me to come back uh, to that. So uh, we all get to talk to uh, people uh, all the time. Uh, I've shared some uh, encounters uh, with you. What about you sharing with us for the benefit of everybody else in the, the class? encounters, uh, an encounter that you've had, um, whether good or bad, uh, friend or foe, um, of uh, how it, what happened, how it went, and obviously you've got to keep it brief because we're on a time issue. Yes? I was able to talk to somebody that's really close to me uh, yesterday, uh, without getting into too much detail, I was able to use questions to narrow down um, exactly or better find out just exactly what her worldview is and what she thinks about God specifically. Uh, and so it was really helpful. And it was a good conversation and a blessing all around. So, so you used. I used the Colombo tactics just and also trying to be an ambassador. And also, this person knows very well that I have strong beliefs and will not be shaken. So, <laughs> uh huh. And so the questions that she has, it was, it was easier to get out of her mm -hmm. by asking the questions, you know. Right. So anyway. Anybody, uh, any, thank you. Anybody else? Share with us before you leave? <laughs> 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 okay. Um, talking about, um, with gentleness and uh, respect, I was in uh, pest control. I'm at this house. Uh, there's uh, ants going up the walls and uh, the big ones. And uh, so I, uh, there's only a high school student home. I ask, hey, can, is there a way to get a hold of your mom or your dad? Four minutes later, dad comes screeching into the driveway. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, I say I need $49 more than your maintenance fee. Uh, I'm going to spray half your house now instead of just around the uh, foundation. And he says, well, one good customer service want you to do that for free. And I said, uh, good customer service, we want to get paid for good customer service. Well, wouldn't uh, the company want you to? No, the company wants to get paid when I'm spending more, more of their products and, and time. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to do it? You know, just, so, you know, uh, I, I want to get paid too. So, uh, David, sit down. We're in the backyard. So, we sit down for 20 minutes. 
And finally I say, um, you know, I, I've got another 20 odd hours to go to today, so um, I'm, I'm going to finish spraying around uh, the foundation and I'll be back with the invoice. I come back to the front, David come in, sit down. Uh, so for another 20 minutes, it, it, so finally uh, I hear uh, the Holy Spirit say to me, David you're not going to do it because it's good customer service or uh, you're not going to do it because, and usually when I get things like that I just say it the way I got it then I don't mess with it. So I said to him, John, um, I'm not going to do it because it's good customer service because they're, they're, they're. I'm going to do it because the love of Christ constrains me. And before I even moved to get out of the chair, he jumps up and he says, I knew it, I knew you were a Christian. <laughs> and I'm thinking, because <laughs> I've argued with him for 45 minutes. And uh, so he said, I, th th this, I still couldn't get up now after he said this. Uh, I want what you've got. Because I, I didn't get upset with him. I didn't argue back and uh, I stayed uh, gentle with uh, respect. Uh, he didn't know it, but that's the only time that's ever happened where, <laughs> where I stayed gentle and with respect. So, uh, so I, uh, I referred him to uh, evidence that demands of it. He, he actually said, I've got two, I'm confused, I've got two books, help me out here. So one of them was a good Christian evangelical uh, Bible-believing book. The other was a New Age book. And I said, well, this uh, this will tell you what I... I've just told you, I gave him the gospel and I need more information. So th this one, this one is going to confuse you because it's saying the opposite of this. Well, I need, some, I need some facts, information to help me understand better. And that's when I told him about evidence that demands a verdict. So, um, yeah, uh, that staying uh, gentle with respect. <laughs> Even when it goes against your normal personality grain, yes. <laughs> Thanks everyone.